years passed, and my brother and I discovered a new avatar, an airbender named Bane. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save Bane. But I believe Bane can save the world. Hello everyone, and welcome back to What's Oppa, a rewatch podcast of the greatest show ever, Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm Joyce. I'm Justin. And I'm Anand, and this week we want to give a special shout out to our friend Shashank who read the intro. This is episode 49 of our podcast, where we'll be discussing The Day of Black Sun, parts 1 and 2. Some quick fun facts about this episode. Um, This episode was a two-parter that was heavily promoted by Nickelodeon. And likewise, we will also be doing this as a two-parter. So buckle up, this is going to be a long one. Yeah, so as part of the promotion, they released a game on Nickelodeon's website called The Black Sun Siege ahead of the episode. And also following this episode was the longest gap between episodes in the middle of a season. So the gap was between the day of Black Sun Part 2, the Eclipse, and the Western Air Temple, which lasted over six months, making the longest hiatus in the middle of any book. So they thought this was going to be the finale too. (laughs) Indeed. They were shocked by the ending. Yeah, and uh, additionally, fans responded really well to these two episodes. Um, On Nick.com, they had message boards, and they hold two out of the top five spots that year, uh, the year that these episodes came out. Um, And these Avatar games are among the most popular on the website, garnering over 70 million plays to date. Uh, a 15% increase year over year to the previous year of Avatar games, which apparently were quite numerous. Sadly, a lot of them have been lost to time. They're just Flash games. But Mm. I actually do remember back in the day playing some of these Avatar games. There's a Catapult game Mm. I played. We, uh, Honor and I, were in the same AP Computer Science class. And let me tell you, we didn't do a lot of computing. We did a lot of gaming. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I remember the Catapult game, too. Yeah, yeah. It was a good one. And the Avatar show pages has generated over 12 million visits, ranking it in the top five of any show in Nickelodeon. Um, which is pretty crazy. And so TurboNick, which is their video broadband player, uh, has generated more than 34 million streams year-to-date for Avatar. So it's pretty cool. And finally, I didn't know this was a thing. There's something called Nicktropolis, which is like their virtual world. So I guess they were on (laughs) VR before, uh, or like virtual stuff before Meta was. Um, And they had six rooms of Avatar environments. So you could just like hang out there, I guess. And they had generated more than 17.5 million visits. Wild. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. And even now, you know, Avatar is still relevant, still yeah, turning still out new on. stuff. Yeah. 15 years later, we cut to the opening scene of the episode, which is the Black Cliffs. As we saw in the previous episode, the team is getting ready to prepare for the invasion of the Fire Nation. And the first scene, we cut to who but Sokka who is studying maps of the Fire Nation and, like, pondering his plan for the invasion. And we cut to a shot of Katara handing him a cup of water and uh, making him take it. Um, So if you remember, I don't know, back in, like, episode zero or something, I had, like, like the the story of this episode for me is that I thought this was actually going to be the finale because I was watching, like, the episodes restreaming on 
Nickelodeon, and I would always look ahead to the guide and see what was coming the next time. But, like, there was no next time, like, next week after this episode in the TV guide, because I guess they, like, also wanted to, like, take a break after this episode. So I thought this was the finale. But what really tipped me off and, like, bothered me was that Sokka was the main character of this episode. And that's when I knew that something was off and this wasn't actually going to be the finale. Um, but anyway, so this, this sets the scene of the first scene being Sokka as the person who's, like, the main character. It is really interesting to think about if people were aware if like that this wasn't going to be the finale, yeah, um, or if people knew that there was something more to come. But like now, when people watch it on streaming, it's just like so obvious that it's not the finale, which is a little unfortunate, you know, because then you're kind of you just expect things to not go right um, already, so you don't get that plot twist, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But that's cool that you kind of well, it's cool you figured it out, anyways. From yeah, like, the even very beginning. kid me. Knew something was off. Yeah. <laughs> first scenes. Yeah. But yeah, then we see Aang show up and he's like super excited and like, you know, ready to go, um, which is, you know, a good callback to the last episode. He's actually well rested now. And then Toph asks him if he's going to hit the Fire Lord with some Avatar state action. But Aang explains that he can't because, you know, his seventh chakra was blocked when Azula struck him. This is kind of interesting to me because. In the actual finale, we see, like, the whole Aang dealing with how to confront the Fire Lord becoming, you know, the central theme of the finale. But it actually doesn't register for him here at all, really, about him, like, confronting the Fire Lord and what he's going to do. So I thought that was, like, interesting because that doesn't seem to be a problem for him, like, at all this episode. Mm. It's possible that he had just, like, gone over his anxiety in the previous episode, so he's just, like you know, head empty, <laughs> just like, <laughs> what happens, happens, I'm gonna yeah. roll up to the palace, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too, like, he has no doubt about, like, fighting the Fire Lord now, and, like, ha- kind of has no worries about what he's gonna do, but... Also, I think with the Eclipse, he might just be thinking it's going to be really easy, so he won't have to end up killing the Fire Lord. Like, the Fire Lord will just be like, I surrender. Like, (laughs) I have no power. I have no pants. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have no pants. Um, Yeah. yeah, Whereas in the actual finale, it's like a, it's a real battle of, I don't know, brawn or something with the Sozin's Calm and everything. And he has no, he might have no choice but to like take him out. Yeah, that's such a great advertisement, though, like for koala sheep beds, like make your make your uh, it's so good that Avatar <laughs> forgets he has to fight a fire lord. <laughs> uh, so then the invasion force arrives. So it's Hakoda leading the way on all the uh, with all of his boats and all the crew members. And Sokka's like, oh, were you able to locate everything I told you to find? And Hakoda's like, I did. And then Do and Tho, if you remember them from the Swamp episode, like walk out, like, you know, scratching themselves and like <laughs> just being a little like unkempt, <laughs> their usual selves. And Hakoda's like, but I'm a little worried, Sokka. Some of these men aren't exactly the warrior type. Yeah, there are some great Avatar extras comments here. When they walk out, uh, the Avatar extras pop up and they're like, they come from Avatar's version of the backwoods. Um, <laughs> and then, so Hugh uh, also comes out and he, if you guys remember, is the like vine bender. And he's like, 
even more unkempt. He d- he's not wearing a shirt. He's like pot belly out. Kind of like season two Uncle Iroh, except he just <laughs> is uncivilized, I suppose. And the extras say that Hugh is enlightened um, because the quote he says is, pants are an illusion and so is death. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's great to see these guys come back. They're always uh, very funny. Um, something I read online, though, is that the people of the Northern Water Tribe seem to be missing. Like no one from the Northern Water Tribe is there. Not that they made very many friends there, but you would think that they would be a useful force to have on hand, um, like Paku and like, I don't know, some of the other guys. Um, pretty good at fighting. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just like to keep to themselves as we've seen. Yeah, that's a great point. I guess like the entire Order of the White Lotus is just missing here. Um, but Iroh knew. He knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So maybe they knew this was going to fail and they just let it happen. Which... That's <laughs> Unlike them. Yeah. Also, I, I think I, I saw that on online too, but like maybe it's just um, a question of like time. Like maybe they didn't have enough time to sail all the way from the Southern Water Tribe up to like the Northern Water Tribe and then back through the Earth Kingdom, like to the Fire Nation mm. or something. That's true. It is very far, especially from the Southern Water Tribe. Well, I guess they weren't really all the way in the Southern Water Tribe. They're just in the Earth Kingdom. I don't yeah. know. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I guess another interesting parallel here is, like, if you remember also back to the Swamp episode, there were a lot of parallels to when when Luke and Yoda are in the Swamp and they crash mm-hmm. the fighter gen, and, like, they're figuring things out and, you know, they see images and, like, you find some spiritual enlightenment in nature. Mm-hmm. And then, like, later in the episode, the friends you made along the way are the ones who help you in the final battle. And it's, mm-hmm. like, kind of what's happening mm-hmm. here. Yeah, and, and, you know, Mark Hamill being part of the show also, you know, it's a lot of cool tie-ins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except, I guess, in this case, they all get jailed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so we also see some other familiar figures, or maybe not so familiar figures. (laughs) The next person we see is Haru, and Haru and Katara reunite. And the biggest reveal of the episode, he has a mustache now. (laughs) He needs some introduction because Toph wasn't there when Haru was there. So Aang's like, oh, Toph, this is Haru. When we met him, his town was controlled by the Fire Nation, so he had to hide his earth bending. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, because in this episode, there's an extra's comment, which, like, surprised me, because I guess it's been so many episodes since Toph has joined the team, but it's only been three months in, like, time. Whoa. Yeah. That's wild. And many times throughout this two-parter, Sokka says, like, oh, I'm so glad you joined the team, which is, like, a weird cognitive dissonance, because, like... In the viewer's experience, she's been part of the team for many, many episodes. It's like almost half of the show runtime. But like, I guess in time, she hasn't been on the mm. team for very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, which is kind of wild that she's only been around for that long. Um, and she's made such a big impact. Mm-hmm. Top, yeah. top MVP. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah and but real. also the extras here, it says that this episode is a lot like a reunion episode. We see we haven't seen Haru since the beginning of the series, and this is the first time we've seen him with a mustache. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I believe he was what? Episode two? I think four. Four. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Imprisoned. Imprisoned, that's right. Yeah. 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 It's cool that they yeah. were able to bring back all the voice actors too. Mm. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, apparently the production for this episode was, like, a massive undertaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, getting everyone in the same room, like, getting all the scripts written out. 
Yeah, and a little thing I read about Haru here also is that apparently they were just, you know, I guess like sketching out this episode and I think Mike or Brian just like they were get they had some sketches of Haru and then someone just decided to like give him a mustache. Like <laughs> someone was just like doodling and like gave him a mustache and then they were like, "Yeah, let's just go with this." Um so kind of a funny it happened in like a funny happenstance way. And then Toph gets a reunion of her own too. And then we see big bad hippo pick up Toph and hug her. And the boulder is also there and like they all have a moment. Yeah, which is really cute because obviously the audience loves these characters. But it's also kind of funny because the last time we saw these characters, they were literally trying to capture and sell Toph like (laughs) back to her parents. Or no, no, no to the fire nation or something <laughs> for money so uh like they are definitely ago. not friends <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i think the funniest thing to me is like i forget exactly what the question was but someone asked the boulder a question and he just responds like negatory <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> yeah i think it's like there's so many like small charming things that like add so much like character and flavor to the show like, I've just been thinking about this a lot because I just watched the um, the live-action trailer for Netflix, mm-hmm. and it has none of those things, and I would be so disappointed if it's, like, all those things are gone, you know? Yeah, if the mm-hmm. if they don't have Dwayne the Rock Johnson in there yelling negatory, I'm not watching the show. Oh, my God. He has to be the live-action <laughs> boulder. Like, he has yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah. There's no way. Maybe, maybe that's why Mike and Brian left. They're like, ah, it's not him. We're, n- we're not here. <laughs> And so we get one more uh, familiar face, which is the Mechanist and his son, Teo. Uh, so, like, they introduce him with an explosion coming from one of the ships, which is classic. And then they walk out and the Mechanist is like, oh, we were trying to make peanut sauce bombs. Yeah. And apparently this is actually a legit idea because apparently peanuts are an ingredient in dynamite. Um, so making peanut sauce bombs has some basis in reality. And I guess, you know, he wanted to repurpose the snacks that he put in Aang's glider for something as well. Yeah, so I spoke too soon. We actually have one more reunion and we see Pip, Squeak, and the Duke, which was really a throwback. I actually kind of forgot who they were, <laughs> even upon this rewatch of the episode. <laughs> um, but they were part of Jet's squad, of course. Yeah, it's really funny to see, like, well-proportioned humans. <laughs> <laughs> And then you have everyone from, like, the Jet episodes, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, anime characters. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. I guess Longshot and... Smeller B. Smeller B are not there also. Yeah. yeah. They're having a great yeah. time with so the kingdom, I guess. More people, yeah. <laughs> they became lovers and ran away. Um, and then Sokka is talking to the Mechanist and he's like, were you able to complete work on the plans I sent you? And then Mechanist was like, yes, I was. And I think the Fire Nation will be quite surprised. Yeah, and the extras here has an interesting recap. It says, originally Sokka's plan was to invade using the Earth Kingdom's army. But after Azula overthrew Ba Sing Se, Sokka had to come up with a new plan using a ragtag group of old friends, hmm. uh, which is correct. And it's also interesting that I feel like the show didn't do a ton of foreshadowing for this plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it did in the sense that like, we know about um, the eclipse and all that. But in terms of Sokka, like reaching out to friends and stuff like that, I feel like it wasn't really woven in. Yeah. It's either cool and that like it's a pleasant surprise or it kind of feels like it's out of nowhere a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But it mm-hmm. gives a little bit more credence to Sokka, I guess. He's like, oh, in a di- like he actually was kind of leader of the group, like planning ahead and like reaching out to people and stuff. Although, how do they even communicate with these people? Mm, maybe hockey did his yeah, job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, Aang is gifted his new glider, which we remember was destroyed in book three. Yeah. The Awakening. Yeah. yeah. And it has an upgrade. It's got a snack department. Yeah. yeah with the peanuts. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, while Team Avatar is making preparations, Iroh is still in prison. And Warden Poon is like, I bet you're tired of being in the cell, old man. Well, too bad. You're never stepping outside these walls again. Which is, you know, just a classic Avatar moment of uh, characters speaking too soon and tempting fate. And uh, then Ming enters and she's like breakfast uh and yeah she has a very distinctive voice hmm (laughs) (laughs) yeah so this happens to be serena williams and she was such a big fan of the show they're like why don't you come on and so yeah serena williams is ming oh as a tennis fan here did you recognize her voice even before reading up like reading up on it or no i knew before I did research on this episode, but I don't think I knew the first time I saw the episode. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She actually returns later as the voice of a female sage in Korra. So she has really? some history with the show. Oh. Yeah. Wow. wow. And I try to see if there was, you know, a cool story. Maybe she like ran into Brian and Mike at some like, cause she was, she had done some other work before this. Mm. Um, but nope, she, uh, just her agent contacted them and they gave her a role. Um, yeah, so no, no cool story. Uh, but still, that's so funny. uh, like a lot of celebrities in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Which I think speaks to like how amazing it is. Yeah. yeah. For like a Nickelodeon kids show. Yeah. 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 I mean, she must have been a full blown adult when it started coming out. <laughs> like, there's no nostalgia in it for her. She's just like, this is an amazing show. Yeah. For I guess they didn't even lives. have streaming back then. So I can imagine her just like practicing, <laughs> getting ready for Wimbledon. She's like, no, I have to go home. <laughs> I have to watch an Avatar episode. <laughs> Yeah. And then she says, I snuck in some white JT. I know you like rare teas. And a little fun fact here is that Ming is actually trying to poison Iroh. <laughs> so uh, white jade is actually the bush that Iroh was poisoned by in the cave of two lovers. Uh, he uh-huh. mistakes it for the dragon bush <laughs> or something. Um, yeah. So oh, she's well-intentioned, but um, I guess... I don't know. I don't know if Ira ends up drinking it or not. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess we leave off not knowing if Ira's still alive. Uh, but we cut back to Sokka. Um, and Sokka is in front of the entire invasion force as the mastermind. And I guess this is his first, you know, his whole life. He's kind of been in charge of first kids when he's, you know, at his village growing up. And then he was in charge of like pre-pubescent teenagers as part of uh, the Aang gang, but, like, this is his first, like, real, like, you know, military operation where he's, like, the guy, and I guess it shows, because the first thing you see, if you're watching the extras version, is, like, this is what happens when you wing it, um, <laughs> so he gets up on the podium, and he's, like, flipping through, like, posters, I guess, like, if you're on the wrong PowerPoint presentation slide, and he's just, like, stumbling around, and is, like, kind of, like, flat-footed, and, like, 
you know, not just not very inspiring. Yeah, and a fun fact here is apparently the posters that he's showing are the expensive atlases that he bought in the Runaway episode with Toph's money. So, yeah, mm, just another little nothing. callback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like when you're like a kid putting together a slide for the first time, you see all the fancy graphics and you try to throw in as many of them yeah. as possible. <laughs> yeah, but he kind of uh, collects himself and then he just starts speaking really fast. He's like, and, um, I'm sorry, let me start at the beginning. And he says, Katara and I discovered Aang frozen in an iceberg, and I didn't like Aang at first, but grew to love him over time, and when we started go- Sorry. <clears throat> then we went to the Southern Air Temple, where Aang used to live, and then we met Suki, who's a kosher warrior. She dressed me like a woman, and then she kissed me, and then Aang's friend was a crazy old king, and... Dude, this is so funny, because the first lie, the, the first, like, amazing line is, she dressed me like a woman, and then she kissed me. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another like thing he says like right after that where he's like talking and then he's like oh like meet Haru he's like Katara got Haru arrested and now he's grown a mustache <laughs> yeah yeah um, so funny just so yeah funny. The, the full line is like, she dressed me like a woman then she kissed me and then Ink's friend was a crazy old king and then Katara got Haru arrested and now she's a he's a grown man with a mustache if you look at him in the front row you can see it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think at some point in the middle of it, it cuts to, like, Katara. She's like, oh, he's really starting at the beginning. <laughs> um, she's like, yikes. <laughs> Secondhand yeah. embarrassment. Yeah, and then the extras, like, flashes over. It's like, in the previous episode, Aang was the one with anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> then Sokka's dad steps up to save the day, and he just gives, like, a much more, like, put-together, confident, confidence-inspiring speech cool detail i noticed here is that when Sokka's speaking everyone's kind of like looking around like oh my god who is this guy like a bit distracted um but then as soon as hakoda starts speaking all eyes are on him like if you look at the audience um also there's just some pretty intense music so there's just like such a difference between how captivated the audience is um yeah yeah very inspiring i was like put me in coach <laughs> i'm ready <laughs> But yeah, very clearly everyone's like super inspired and they cheer and then it cuts to Sokka and he's clearly very dejected and down on himself for not being able to do that. Yeah, um, just some other items here. Uh, during Hakoda's entire preparation speech and going over the plan, uh, they go over the fact that they're going to try to sneak into the Fire Nation um, and I guess just run into... Like, their central point of weakness, which is the Eclipse, and then take over and kind of just, like, win. But during this whole thing, he mentions, like, a couple of things that they have to get through. One of them is the Great Gates of Azulon, which is a narrow ocean pass, and they show a montage of it. Um, and so, one cool thing here is when he glosses over the fact that they're not going to be able to firebend... Um, the extras come up and it says that some speculate that this solar eclipse is UA's way of helping yeah that's very cool yeah that's cool but then it cuts to like also kind of a montage of people getting ready and preparing for the invasion and it's pretty cool because the first episode most people most characters are not wearing their like traditional garments and we get to see a couple of interesting things um so first we see like the entire southern water tribe getting ready and they're wearing a lot of wolf armor. And there's like actually like pretty interesting details. So the armor that they're wearing is uh, related to the rank that they're in, mm. in like the military. So Hakoda mm. has different crests on his chest. 
and he has like kind of a full moon with two crescent moons on the side. And this is apparently like very similar to some neo-pagan symbols for some triple goddess and uh, that like represent the three stages of a woman's life. I guess his woman is dead, so there's no stages, but um, he wears it on his chest. Um, but I guess it relates back to you know, how they get their power from the moon. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and apparently the extensive use of pelts in their armor is very similar to battle gear used by some Roman soldiers, um, which also had wolf pellets uh, draped over their heads and shoulders. Um, and I guess the final bit is uh, Appa steps out, and he's like, decked out like head to toe <laughs> in some new crazy <laughs> armor um and turns out that the designs for both the water tribe wolf armor and appa's armor came from unused toy sketches that brian had submitted to the consumer products department i guess for making toys and stuff mm. yeah so a lot of very very cool tie-ins in this episode um yeah and then in the final bit of preparation ang shaves his hair yeah Pretty cool moment, pretty symbolic. You know, Aang is ready to finally reveal that he is alive and confront the Fire Lord. Um, but he also has a new outfit. Um, so it's like a combination of his old, like, season one, like, monk outfit and kind of some of the Fire Nation um, elements that he wore uh, in this season. And, like, he has his new staff, too, so he's all, like, decked out. Yeah, and then immediately it cuts to Zuko. And there's a really cool juxtaposition here because he has his hair tied up in the top knot, which he wears when he's in the palace and he's Prince Zuko. But now he's in the palace and he's letting his hair down to be Redemption Zuko. It's like a very like poignant mm. moment. Mm. Um, and he sits down to start writing a letter to me. Um, and the extras here comes in and says, we'll find out what this letter says in the episode Boiling Rock Part 2, which mm. we will... Yeah. And then we cut back to the invasion force once again. And we, we have a small scene here, which I thought was pretty cute. It's kind of a moment between Sokka and Aang. And Sokka is kind of like sad about how he messed up presenting the invasion plan. And Aang's like, look, your moment of truth isn't going to be in front of some map. It's going to be out there on the battlefield. And Sokka's like, you seem so confident about everything. How do you know you're going to win? And Aang says, because I already failed the world once at Bossing Say. I won't let myself fail again. So I think Aang is like, in this episode, shows how far he's come. Because, you know, his whole thing is that he like ran away from a lot of his responsibility. Like the whole storm and everything that happened. So I feel like in this episode, he really like confronts that and really steps up to like take responsibility for what, what he needs to do. And we'll see this mm -hmm. come again later at the end of the episode. But I think, I, I did like this because it shows like Aang is, is finally stepping up. Mm, yeah that's interesting because if you tie it into like the whole theme of the episode which is like the friends you made along the way it's like it feels earned because he's like built his courage over time by helping other people yeah and now they're like he's doing it with everyone else whereas you know the first time he ran away he was just like alone mm, yeah, that's yeah really or good point. i guess just had monkey out so yeah and he's momo. not here <laughs> and momo and, and appa and appa yeah. yeah i guess the bradley baker can't carry everyone on his back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I also like this moment between Aang and Sokka because, um, yeah, like we saw Sokka and the rest of the Aang gang like really comfort Aang and kind of like boost him up last episode. And because this is a Sokka-centric episode, we see Aang here really being su a supportive bro to Sokka <laughs> when uh, 
when Sokka's feeling down. It's funny because like Aang and Sokka either have the most poignant moments in the show or like the most bonehead <laughs> moments in <Yeah>. the show. <laughs> this is like one of the two times they're ever serious together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then the invasion begins and they're in their boats and they're approaching the great gates of Azulon, as Justin mentioned before. And so the alarms start ringing and then the gates come up, which are basically like these, it's kind of like ropes almost, uh, but then they all light on fire and it's like pretty crazy. Um, but I saw one historical comparison um, that they may have gotten inspiration from, um, which is uh, a large chain link that guarded um, the Golden Horn in Constantinople um, before it was sacked in 1453. Yeah. Um, some other fun facts about the Great Gates of Azulon. Uh, apparently he named it after himself. <laughs> yeah, um, they guard the sea entrance that leads to the capital. And there's a massive statue of Fire Lord Azulon who stands like kind of in the middle, flanked by two dragons. So it's like really ostentatious. Um, I guess it is the entrance of the capital, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Anand said, when they see enemy ships come, it like raises this huge net, which ignites on fire. Um, closing the gate and uh, makes sense right because like I guess water is the opposite of fire so they want to like protect themselves from the water nation or about like water attacks um, but yeah he commissioned the gates to be built and he couldn't decide on the name and after mulling over what to call them he finally decided he would name it after himself because like apparently like the quote is he was the genius he had the genius foresight of having the gates constructed <laughs> 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 yeah <laughs> so the uh <clears throat> yeah the fire fire nation is they're, they're not great at naming things i thought that would be obvious like he wouldn't even think twice about naming it after himself <laughs> probably yeah. yeah you know knowing them yeah, knowing <laughs> but him. maybe he was trying to branch out <laughs> yeah but team avatar was ready for this because they have submarines so there's a little animation of them escaping from the boats on the submarines and they go underwater and Hakoda compliments Sokka on his idea. And Sokka's like, well, I just came up with the idea. The mechanist did all the work. And the mechanist is like, now don't sell yourself short, my boy. Uh, it was your idea to use water bending to make the sub sink and float. Brilliant. And it cuts to the picture that Sokka drew of the submarine <laughs> for the mechanist. And it's literally like one of those two-year-old drawings again. Probably made by the same guy. You know, mm. the other, like, random drawings that we had um and then he's like though your original designs were a bit difficult to decipher um but one thing i really like about this episode in general is it's kind of like a full-on war like we see like armies battling each other which is not like all the strategy and tactics involved in that which is not something we usually see in avatar which is like one-on-one battles mm-hmm. um and so I think I like that a lot. And then we also see like the role of technology and how that changes like warfare a lot. Like these subs are probably the first time these subs have like ever been used and invented in this world. And it just like leads to a lot of like innovation on the battlefield, um, which is very cool. And one detail that comes up, maybe it comes up later is that um, the mechanist mentions like, oh, um, one drawback is I couldn't get enough air supply. So we have to resurface before we actually reach the shores. And apparently this was actually what happened with the first submarines, like during World War One, when they were first deployed, like they did have limited air and like need, needed to resurface a lot. Just mm. a little detail. It's because there's no air vendors. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Aang's an airbender. You can just, like, you know, force air into their lungs or something. <laughs> pull the air from the water or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Some other fun facts. When they show a close-up of the mechanist, uh, it says that originally the circles around his eyes were supposed to be a scar uh, that he got from a steam power telescope because he's always, like, hurting himself in experiments. He's, like, missing some fingers. Um, but then the creators decided to turn the circles around his eye into a monocle instead. Um, I guess he would look too similar to Zuko. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah, like you said, the juxtaposition is kind of crazy because when they're approaching the gates of Azulon, they're like pulling up in like a wooden sailboat. Um, but then the Fire Nation's coming on jet skis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, yeah, World War One did have a lot of those, like, weird juxtapositions, right? I, I remember reading, like, the Polish army kind of showed up with, like, the cavalry on yeah, knights. Yeah, on horses. Like, yeah. Uh, horses against, like, actual tanks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But the other crazy thing that I, like, thought about when I was watching this whole fight is they have a radar blip in the submarine, <laughs> which is, like, <laughs> super advanced tech. Like, they don't even have electricity. So, like, where is this coming from? I, <laughs> I don't know. That's true. Yeah. I never never gave that same thought. And they have torpedoes, but yeah. their boats have sails. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah. funny. I don't know. Yeah, because um, I guess, like, a lot of the modern weapons are powered by bending like the subs are powered by bending torpedoes are also powered by bending mm-hmm. but the radar like yeah, where does that come from <laughs> yeah uh, that's funny yeah i'm trying to have to work the same in the avatar world you know yeah, yeah. i guess so <laughs> they just get radar for free <laughs> yeah it's interesting to think like oh like if we had bending how would the world be different because in Korra we see like electricity generation is just a couple of firebenders in a room zapping like a like an anode um, but i was thinking like oh during covid respirators are just like a bunch of airbenders like, <laughs> yeah, like bending like a giant vacuum or something yeah yeah um and then so now we cut back to uncle iroh and uh, Ming is, uh, Serena is, I'm sorry, is bringing Iroh his lunch. <laughs> Serena. <laughs> uh, and then Uncle Iroh says, thank you, Ming. Your little gestures of kindness have made my days in prison bearable. I think you should take the rest of the day off. And I, I don't know, remember if I saw this on the wiki or like on one of like those Facebook meme groups for Avatar. But someone was like, oh, this is like the kid telling you not to show up to school on the next day um because he knows like things are gonna go down and then ming is like no no like uh, like it's okay and then uncle iris says trust me it is better that you are not here this afternoon um so yeah yeah so the next scene is back to the invasion yeah and right when the scene starts uh there's a little pop-up and it says emotional moment alert <laughs> yeah um and ang and the rest of the gang are meeting on top of the submarine which i guess the submarines not having enough air is based on like real submarines um from i guess world war one but i was like oh this is just the mechanist's way of like letting katara and ang have a little moment <laughs> like <laughs> uh he built in the uh that defect into the submarine so they could all <laughs> have an emotional moment together um Anyways, yeah, so basically the gang just hypes Aang up. They're like, you got this, you're ready, uh, all of that. Uh, yeah, Momo joins in the hug too. Turns out Momo is a good guy after all. Um, yeah, and yeah, I mean, I hear again, like there's just so much confidence 
being like Aang has so much confidence that the gang has so much confidence again I was kind of like so what even is Aang's plan like is he gonna kill him or not like I just I don't know and then I also read online that like oh maybe it was like there's a little bit of overconfidence in the beginning of the episode so that you feel the end is like even more of a letdown like I just feel like or maybe it also tips you off to like maybe something not being quite right because I feel like everyone is a little bit too optimistic at the beginning kind of for no apparent reason because we haven't gotten like much of an explanation of what's going to go on so anyways they're all like feeling really good about things and then Aang and Katara have a little moment the rest of the people leave and they're reminiscing on everything that they've been through together and Aang's like what if what if I don't come back and Katara's like Aang don't say that of course you'll and then Aang cuts her off and kisses her which is crazy um yeah, so I guess it does give that this episode a bit more of a, the feel of like this might be the finale, you know, they're actually getting their moment. Um, but they, they do, and then they can kind of continue onward, and they're kind of in the submarines, and then there's a moment where like Sokka like sighs or something, and you can kind of feel like it's kind of like the pit in your stomach before you're about to do something like really scary. But I feel like this episode does a really good job of like, making that like atmosphere of oh something like is really about to go down it reminds me of like game of thrones if you guys have seen like the last season before the final battle in the north like this whole episode of like the anticipation like before the final battle the calm before the storm yeah calm before the storm and it's like you can you can really feel that and and like mm-hmm. all like everything with like oh and kissing katara and like everyone getting back together you really feel like it's kind of like the final battle they do a good job mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of, we see this great shot of Aang kind of flying over the capital city, because uh, I guess everyone else is still on the beach, with his new glider. <laughs> he tries out the snack department, and he's like, oh, like, this is actually kind of nice. Um, get some more car- fast carbs in. But there's some pretty cool inspirations for the entire battle. Apparently, the entire landing sequence was inspired by the Battle of Normandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is very cool. If you've seen Saving Private Ryan, um, yeah, it's like an amphibious landing, just just as this is, and yeah, it, it, again, amphibious landings are notoriously like really, really hard to pull off because mm-hmm. obviously you're like coming onto enemy territory, like from the water onto land. They have the high position; they can just like shoot you down. So it mm-hmm. is like one of the scariest like invasion plans like you could you could do. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I guess there's no other way, right? For that. Yeah. This. Yeah, there's kind of no other way. It's just like... Air really power, hard. I guess. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Why didn't they do yeah. that? I don't know. They have the balloons. Yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the next one can make like a backup like prototype of his balloon. Once it was lost, he was just like, oh. That's true. Mm, That's true. I don't know. He didn't save save to drive or yeah, no back up to less. hard drive. I guess it's, they don't have fire benders, so they have to like manually man that. Whereas they have water benders, so it makes uh, water travel really that's easy. A good point. Mm, that yeah. is a very mm-hmm. good point. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it cuts to the subs but trying to have air benders. <laughs> they have one <laughs> air bender. <laughs> they, they have air bender. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but then it cuts to the subs trying to make it through a narrow channel, and they load up a torpedo. And, and blast through a, a wire gate uh, to get through. And uh, and then they get through and there's all these like hooks coming down 
from like the side. And uh, yeah, the experts here said that these giant hooks aren't used to defend the capital. They're used for fishing. <laughs> it's like, what kind of fish are they? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then they like shoot some torpedoes, which are propelled through the water using water bending, as like Anand said earlier. So it's like kind of insane, like the different eras of technology that they're pulling from in like this whole mishmash. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they surface and they like beach on, and basically, this is an insane sequence. So first, these earth tanks sort of crawl out, and they're like giant cat, like centipede or caterpillars. You can kind of think of them, and they're, they're coming out, and they squeeze another like tank underneath and like destroy it yeah i mean speaking of like tanks also first made appearance in world war one so it's just like yeah crazy technology coming through for the first time but apparently um these earth bending tanks uh like resemble caterpillars and um were inspired by leonardo da vinci's like first tank designs apparently Mm -hmm. yeah and another fun fact is apparently they're known as slinky tanks in the Avatar world, which is very adorable for how like fearsome of a weapon they are. Um, yeah. And another thing I thought about this scene is you just see such like an awesome display of all the technology all in one shot. Like you have the subs landing, you have the tanks coming out, like all of all of it is there. And I was just thinking like, where did they get the money to buy all this stuff? Like they I don't know. Like, they really just... Money is not an issue for them, it seems like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So we never really get to see them making money on the side, but I guess they have their methods. Yeah, all of the mechanist inventions. Um, now, apparently, it was, like, similar to a prototype, like the CLB-75 used by the U.S. Mm. in 1917. Yeah, anyway, so uh, we see these crazy tanks and everything, and then, like... Tho comes out in his like wooden like vest and he's like where in tarnation is who and then it cuts to um like the swamp monster and like the extras come up like get ready for the return of the swamp monster and he's like throwing tanks left and right and like blowing things up um and that's pretty cool and then it cuts to like some fire nation soldiers on rhinos coming by and like that's like a cool homage like the rough rhinos although i don't think that's actually them here and hokoda like fights off three fire nation soldiers by himself even though he can't bend somehow um <laughs> takes them down um and then actually apparently this is the first battle that sock and his dad are both in together mm. yeah so they have like a moment and then hakoda says Sokka, we've got to take out those battlements it's our only chance yeah, and this is cool. It's just, like, tactics on the battlefield. It's like, yeah, they encountered these battlements they probably didn't know about, and they have to go and do it. And they end up using Appa to to go and kill the battlements. And so Appa is basically, like, air power. Uh, and then we see, you know, the Fire Nation develop air power of their own. But, yeah, that, that's also something that, you know, made us entry in World War One and changed a lot of the dynamics. So, yeah, it's just cool. And then Sokka says, I've got an idea. And then they hop on top of Appa, and they start, like, going up to the battlements and, like, messing things up, like, cutting lines, like, and crossbows and cannons and things like that. Um, and then they land, and, and Hakuto tells Sokka that they're, they're, like, kind of between two battlements. And Hakuto's like, okay, I'll go take care of this one, and you and your sister go take care of the other one. So it cuts to Sokka and Katara. They, like, run into on the battlements. Katara has, like, the octopus arms, and, like, they will shoot out and, like, freeze the people, which I guess is, like kind of nice that they're immobilized but also the ice is gonna melt and they're gonna get out at some point i don't know seems like a little inefficient 
Yeah. You use up all your water, too. I don't know. Yeah, true. Yeah, and then we see Sokka cut the missile launcher with his sword. So his sword makes an appearance again, which is a cool callback, and apparently it can just slice through metal like butter. So Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, the extras actually pop up, and they yeah. say Sokka's meteorite blade is extremely sharp and mm. can cut through steel. Oh, steel. <laughs> which is wild. That's insane, yeah. yeah. Like... The entire um, drill episode is invalidated if he had his sword. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we know his sword is more powerful than airbending. Yeah. 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 And then, so they, they basically take care of this encampment really well. And then they come out and they see the embattlement that Hakoda's in explode. And he like limps out and collapses on the ground. Which... Like, why didn't Katara go in one by herself? I don't know. <laughs> kind of seems like you want to send the master waterbender and, like, have the two non-benders take care of the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. But also, you know, Hakoda is like, these are my two children. Like, they're still kids to him. Um, yeah, maybe that's why. But, yeah, anyways, Katara rushes to heal her father, um, but he's kind of badly hurt, and she says that he can't fight anymore. And then Sokka's like, I can take over. And then Hakoda's like, you can do this. I'm proud of you, son. Yeah, and this is, you know, the classic, like, whoever son wants to hear from his father, especially what Sokka wants to hear from his father. And it's a good moment, because Sokka, again, this actually does feel earned, because, like, Sokka had his whole troubles in the beginning, and then he actually does, like, step up to take over. And, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a good moment. It's what Sokka's been waiting for, like, you know, the whole show. So then, yeah, Sokka ends up going out into the battlefield and kind of leading the people forward. And then it cuts to Aang, and, you know, he's in the Fire Nation town, and there's no one there. And he's like, what's going on? And then he ends up going into the main throne room and finds that no one is home. And he's like, no, 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 Fire Lord Ozai, where are you? And that's the big reveal at the end of the episode. The Fire Nation knew. They've been played, yeah. Yeah, so a little goof here, actually, or something that was, feels a little off is that Aang actually arrives at the throne room long before the eclipse begins. It, the eclipse only begins in the next part. So again, there's kind of just no plan. Like it contradicts the plan of taking on the Fire Lord during the eclipse. Um, but then someone else online was like, oh, maybe like Aang thought there'd be some resistance uh, from other soldiers before he arrived at the throne room. So that's why he left so much earlier. But anyways, yeah, he's he does enter the main throne room like way before the eclipse. So if he had been there, he probably would have gotten smoked by the firework. <laughs> uh, anyways, yes, very upsetting. So part two, things start to go very wrong. So part two, there's some interesting fun facts that come up. Apparently, a total lunar eclipse can last hours, um, minutes to hours, but this one will last exactly eight minutes, which coincidentally is the approximate length of each act in every Avatar show. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Another cool thing about episode two is that everyone is back in their normal clothing and not their disguises. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Aang returns to the rest of the invasion force and people are like what why why are you here and he's like no one was home the city was deserted and Sokka is like they knew and Aang's like it's over and Sokka's like no my instincts tell me he wouldn't go too far he would have a secret bunker somewhere he could go and be safe during the siege but still be close enough to lead his nation 
Again, Sokka's instincts, always right. Um, and he's like, we can still do this. We can still win the day. And the guitar is like, wait, if they knew we were coming, it could all be a trap. Maybe we should use the time we have left to make sure we all get out of here safely. Yeah, so, you know, she makes a good point here. And obviously, you know, 2020 or hindsight is 2020. And like, you know, maybe if they just listened to Katara, it all would have been fine. But, you know, Hokuto is like, everyone who's here today, came prepared to risk everything for this mission. They know what's at stake. If there's still a chance and there's still hope, I think they would want Aang to go for it. Yeah, again, I just feel like there's this a little bit of a sense of like over-optimism. Uh, like they have 10 minutes to what, find the Fire Lord. They have no idea where he is and defeat him. And like Aang doesn't even know how he's going to defeat him. I don't know. I just feel like something feels a little off there. But Sokka's like, yeah, what do you think? You're the one who has to face the Fire Lord. Whatever you decide, I'm with you. Yeah, I actually thought this was a pretty mature comment from Sokka and him being a very good leader because I feel like, you know, old Sokka might have like tried to take things into his own hands and make the decision himself. But in the end, it comes down to Aang and it's a good, um, you know, deferral and like good leadership to defer to Aang there, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And Aang, you know, feeling really good. He's like, I've got to try. So then we cut to just Sokka, Toph, and Aang pulling up to the side of a volcano, and then Toph just starts like burrowing into the volcano, uh, which is kind of insane. Uh, it just shows like how valuable she is to the team, and, and Sokka doesn't make a couple of comments about that. He's like, I'm so glad you're on the team. Um, but they find a bunker, because she can see in the dark. Um, and some fun facts about the first bunker they find, uh, apparently this was built during Firelar Sozin's reign. Because he got very paranoid in his old age mm. um, that he was going to get offed. But yeah, and then it's made of metal, and then Toph, the metal vendor, <laughs> bends it open. <laughs> She's just kind of like a one-man army. And then Sokka runs in, and yeah, he's like, I'm so glad we added you to the group. Yep, so they continue going down the volcano, and they run into a random man, or we think, walking around, who's just whistling. Like, all right, <laughs> And then they kind of corner him and, like, threaten him. And then he's like, the Fire Lord's chamber is that way, down the hall, to the left, up the stairs. You can't miss it. And turns out this guy is none other than War Minister Chin, who we've seen once in the previous two seasons. First season was in the Northern Air Temple episode with the Mechanist. And then the second season, he was leading the drill. So he made a cameo in every season. Then they finally reach the door of the bunker that Chin leads them to, and Aang breathes deeply, and he says, I'm ready. I'm ready to face the Fire Lord. And he blasts the doors open, and then inside is Azula. And then, the next scene we cut to, great juxtaposition again with Zuko and Aang. And Zuko's standing outside of a different door, uh, more discreet, and he's like, I'm ready to face you. Um, and then Zuko opens the door, and then we see Ozai. And Ozai's like, Prince Zuko, what are you doing here? Um, but yeah, it was just a cool fake out because, you know, obviously Aang is trying to find the Fire Lord. But no, instead it's Zuko who finds Ozai and they have the real confrontation of that. So, yeah. Yeah. It cuts back to the invasion force and it's Bato now leading the charge. Um, <laughs> the, he's Our doing... favorite guy. <laughs> Bato. <laughs> uh, Bato of the water <laughs> Yeah, and so... The mechanist, uh, he's like, the eclipse is starting. Put on your eclipse glasses. And everyone puts on these like 3D glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I think they look pretty cool. Um, 
But yeah, apparently the slits block out the sun's glare while still allowing the user to see, and they're reminiscent of eyewear that's used in some desert or Arctic cultures because there's a lot of glare in those environments. Um, and the sandbenders of the Siwang Desert actually wore similar eyewear. Um, so that's an example of like a desert peoples who use these things. Um, but also why they would need to look at the sun, I don't know. Probably just to be like, <laughs> ooh, ah, <laughs> UA. <laughs> Um, yeah, anyway, so then back to Zuko and Ozai, the stars of the show. Ozai's like, why are you here? Zuko's like, I'm here to tell the truth. And Ozai's like, telling the truth during the middle of an eclipse. This should be interesting. And then he waves away the soldiers who, there are a bunch of soldiers standing with him. He just, with the wave of his hand, he doesn't even say anything. They like walk away, which just makes him feel so powerful. Um, and another fun fact is that these soldiers are carrying pole arms because they know that they won't be able to bend soon. So they're actually all firebenders. I think most of the Imperial Guard are firebenders, but I guess, you know, they also need to have weapons right now. Um, yeah, but I don't know why they leave because like Zuko clearly has weapons on him. So it's just very strange <laughs> that they like completely leave. But I guess Ozai just like thinks Zuko is so weak that there's mm -hmm. like no possible reason why he would need those soldiers yeah i guess also zuko's been pretty careful about not carrying those particular weapons with him now he's just bearing it out because mm. they know the blue spirit <laughs> is uses those two daos mm -hmm. yeah that's, that's true, true that's true um yeah so he's ready to come clean he should have come clean about the blue spirit thing too that would have been a good like <laughs> extra like yes, punch you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And by the way, we had the avatar. I let him go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Um, so then Zuko starts off saying that uh, he didn't actually kill the avatar. The avatar's not dead. And Azula was actually the one who did it. Um, and Ozai was like, oh, get out. Uh, and then Zuko's like, think again. I'm going to speak my mind and you are going to listen as he whips out his swords. Yeah. And then Ozai eventually just sits down and is dismayed to have to hear him out. Yep, and then we come back to Aang and team facing Azula, and Aang's like, where is he? Where's the Fire Lord? And Azula is like, you mean I'm not good enough for you? You're hurting my feelings. And um, it's actually really interesting if you think about it, the whole, Ozai's whole plan is just to like make Azula do all the work, which is just so funny and like so classic for who he is as a person. I guess it kind of just like gives a little bit of insight into like how... I don't know. Cowardly he is a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, basically Toph is like, oh, stick to the truth. Like, I can tell if you're lying. And then Azula is like, are you sure? I'm a pretty good liar. And then she's like, I'm a 400 foot tall purple platypus bear with pink horns and silver wings. And then Toph ends up trapping her with earthbending. And without any warning, we see the earth just crumble and break, leaving her free. And then it's like, oh my god, Azula can Earthbend too? And then, <laughs> um, but no, <laughs> she has she has some daily agents she brought home as souvenirs. But now we come back to the confrontation we really want to see. Um, Zuko says, for so long, all I've wanted was for you to love me, to accept me. I thought it was my honor I wanted, but really, it was just trying to please you. You, my father, who banished me for just talking out of line, and he points a sword at his dad. And he says, my father who challenged me, a 13-year-old boy, to an Agni Kai. How could you possibly justify a duel with a child? And then Ozai just, like, shouts, like, it was to teach you respect. 
And then Zuko says, it was cruel and it was wrong. And then he says, then you have learned nothing. And then Zuko says, no, I've learned everything and I've had to learn it my, on my own. Growing up, we were taught the Fire Nation was the greatest civilization in history. And somehow the war was our way of sharing greatness with the rest of the world. What an amazing lie that was. The people of the world are terrified by the Fire Nation. They don't see our greatness. They hate us and we deserve it. We've created an era of fear in the world. And if we don't want the world to destroy itself, we need to replace it with an era of peace and kindness. Which is like a crazy line, right? Because it kind of should, like validates everything we've seen in the beginning half of the season, which is like someone many generations ago decided that they wanted to share like the riches of the Fire Nation. And now like three generations later, they're dealing with the consequences of that. Um, and it's like on them to to right the wrongs of the past. But anyway, the extra says, finally an episode where Zuko isn't confused about something. <laughs> He's enlightened. <laughs> Unlike the Fire Lord, Zuko has experienced life outside the Fire Nation. Which is, yeah, pretty, pretty important thing. I guess, like, maybe the lesson here, too, is, like, the nations are so split, and they, like, have very little interaction with each other, and the Avatar is supposed to be, like, the arbiter in between all of them. But, like, he's just kind of this all-powerful being. And, and I guess kind of, like, the thing Korra grasp, grapples with is, like, is that right? Should should they be working things out themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, first, like, this scene and the dialogue in this scene just is so, like, it feels so right. Like, everything is just, like, perfect. And you finally get to see Zuko speak his mind and also say what, like, everyone has been thinking, I guess, the whole time. Um, and he just, it, everything, like, is summarized so well. It's also just, like, ama- it just feels so natural and it feels like it's really coming from the heart. Yeah, and also, you just see, like, flashes of Ozai's reactions to the speech and it just makes it that much better because you can just see there's, like, pure hatred in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, he is so done with this kid. <laughs> like, he's never liked Zuko, but, like, you can just see, like... Yeah, it's, like, disgust. Yeah. Yeah, it's disgust, it's hatred, like, it's murderous. Yeah. It's, like, primal, too. Yeah. It's like, he can't help It's primal. Feel way. Yes, yeah, that's a great yeah. way of describing it. Yeah. And he actually appears, like, a little scary. Like, Ozai, yeah. you know? Like, before he's just, like, kind of harmless and, like, oh, just... But he actually, like, is kind of scary. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and, yeah, you're right. The whole speech is, like, so cathartic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels really good. Like, his comebacks to everything Ozai says is are so good, too. Like, it was to teach you respect, and he's just like, no. And then he's like, you've learned nothing. And he's like, no. <laughs> like, it's just like, he's really, yeah. like, serving it back to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. On some lighter note, it's like every teenage angsty child feels like <laughs> they want to speak that back to their parents. Uh, huh. Um Bazooka actually has, like, the moral high ground. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's not just whining anymore. <laughs> yeah. There's, like, real, like, weight and credence to his, like, what you say. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's, like, earned it for himself, too. He doesn't have Ozai looking over, or not Ozai, he doesn't have Iroh looking over his, his shoulder. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, speaking of, Ozai has this, like, of, like guttural laugh. Like, he's he just, like, something snaps in him, and he's decided he's gonna kill him. And he's, like... Your uncle has gotten to you, hasn't he? Um, and then Zuko, uh, I guess a past Zuko would have gotten angry to that. 
um, he would have found like some like like crazy rash reaction. But the present Zuko, he he just says yes, and then he smiles like just like a very content smile, and he says he has. Yeah, like what a great moment, right? It's like after all Zuko and Iroh have been through, especially in the first half of the season where like he broke with him, he finally like embraces Iroh and accepts him. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it's like he. His whole time in exile has found, like, embarrassment and shame in being, like, chaperoned by Iroh. Mm-hmm. And, like, finally he's accepted that, like, you know, Iroh was the true father. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. That just made me think to, like, how he doesn't actually get to reconcile with Iroh until, like, the mm. very end. Oh, yeah, so that's emotional. True. And that's, like... Oh, my God. That's on some level, that's also like character development, right? Because Iroh can foresee the invasion and he gets out, but he can't foresee Zuko's character development. So it's in, in some way, it's like Zuko has finally grown to be a person that Iroh can't predict. And that's like true growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm. uh, otherwise he would have waited around for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Zuko would just come get me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's a great point. Whew. Anyways. Back to Team Avatar and Azula, a much lighter, sillier encounter. <laughs> and <laughs> they keep fighting Azula, and she's just stringing them along. She's like, la-di-da, like, hopping around, like, not having any trouble. And then Sokka's like, wait, Aang, Toph, stop attacking. Don't you see what she's doing? She's just playing with us. She's not even trying to win this fight. Um, and Toph's like, you're just trying to keep us here and waste all our time. And Azula's like, um, right, I think your friend just said that, genius. And since you can't see, I should tell you that I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> that was so brutal. I was like, this just has to be, like, mentioned because it's just, like, that's so nasty. Yeah. Yeah. But Azula is, like, so, like, crazy overpowered that she can just toy with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's what makes her such a good villain. She basically never has to, like even lift a finger in anything she does um and then Toph is like i'll roll your whole head and then (laughs) they try to walk away and ignore her and then azula again with another gut puncher is like so sokka's your name right my favorite prisoner used to mention you all the time she was convinced you were going to come rescue her of course you never came and she gave up on you um yeah this one might even top the uh top blind jab but um yeah we do find out that suki is indeed alive which we don't actually know um so last time they were really like getting pummeled by azula and her friends and another fun fact is that this is the first time azula has said the name of a team avatar member out loud um apparently she later calls Katara by name in the search part one but i think that's another reason why this is like so striking and so personal it's like wow she's actually just like targeting him like that like Mm. like she knows Sokka so deeply um yeah I like to think on a lighter note she knows Sokka's name because Tylee can't like shut up about him (laughs) that's so funny yeah yeah anyways then Sokka really loses it and charges out Azula and is like where is Suki then we go back to the Zuko Ozai confrontation and Zuko says, after I leave here today, I'm going to free Uncle Iroh from his prison and I'm going to beg for his forgiveness. He's the one who's been a real father to me. And Ozai just laughs. And he says, oh, that's just beautiful. And maybe he can pass down to you the ways of tea and failure. And Zuko says, but I totally ignores that. He's like, 
But I've come to an even more important decision. I'm going to join the Avatar, and I'm going to help him defeat you. Nozai says, really? Since you're a full-blown traitor now, and you want me gone, why wait? I'm powerless. You got your swords. Why don't you just do it now? And Zuko says, because I know my own destiny. Taking you down is the Avatar's destiny. And he puts his swords away, and then he says goodbye. And he um, starts walking out of the room, and... They only show one of his eyes, actually, as he walks out of the room, and it's the non-scarred eye. Hmm. And that's there's, like, a throwback to a scene in the Awakening episode where he's also, like, where he sees his father, and then he's, like, walking out of the room. And when he's walking out of the room, it shows a scarred eye. Hmm. So that's, like, another intentional thing of him, like, being mm-hmm. the good side. Um, and then as Zuko, you know, is about to leave the room, Ozai hits him with a gut punch back, and he's like... Don't you want to know what happened to your mother? It's so insidious. He like pauses on every word and enunciates his like mother with like a cruel like uptick question, and like he knows it's like I don't know. It's it's crazy because like it's the same thing with Azula, right? You know your enemy so well that you can like ask questions that get to the core of who they are, mm. and really just like like. I guess, like, that's the whole thing with, like, firebending, right? You need to, like, have a strong stance and, like, you shoot out from there. You're, like, getting them off their emotional stance. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful. And obviously, Zuko can't leave after that. And so he turns around. And he's like, what happened that night? And as I says, my father, Fire Lord Zulan, had commanded me to do the unthinkable to you, to my own son. And I was going to do it. Your mother found out and swore she would protect you at any cost. She knew I wanted the throne and she proposed a plan plan in which I would become the Fire Lord and your life would be spared. And this is like a huge reveal because this is the first time we actually learn anything about his mother. And then Ozai says, your mother did vicious treasonous things that night. She knew the consequences and accepted them. For her treason, she was banished. But yeah, this is a huge reveal because like then then you understand the full picture, right? It's like, oh, Ozai was going to kill us. Uh, Ozai was going to kill Zuko. Um, but then to protect him, his mom... Like, you know, it's hints at it, but basically killed Azulon to to make uh, Ozai Fire Lord and save Zuko. So it's crazy. It's like the extent to which his mom actually went to to save Zuko. It's like pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. So after, you know, Ozai reveals this, Zuko kind of looks up and is like teary-eyed. And she's like, so she's alive? And then Ozai's like, Maybe. But now I realize that banishment is far too merciful a penalty for treason. And there's a cool shot of like the eclipse like about to end. And it's as it's ending, he's like, your penalty will be far steeper. And just as it ends, he like prepares to like shoot this lightning bolt right at Zuko. And then he does like right at the moment um, when the eclipse ends. And then in like one of the most like, you know, cinematic scenes, maybe of the whole show. It's like Zuko like takes the lightning and then actually redirects it right back at Ozai um, and explodes in Ozai's face and Zuko runs away. And that, it's just so good. That's also so cathartic. It's like first they have the exchange of words and then they have this like bending sequence where like, you know, it's like Zuko learned lightning redirection from Iroh and then he gets to use it like right back to redirect right lightning right back at Ozai's face. It's just like, it's so perfect. He could have ended the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then we come back to the invasion, which is now floundering 
um, you know, they're losing ground and, you know, they're like, well, see firebenders at any moment because, you know, the eclipse is over and then Bato looks up and then they see a bunch of the fire balloons that the mechanist had created coming towards them. And the mechanist is like, my own invention. Oh, this is terrible. And it's actually, this is the first time we actually know that they've used the stolen fire balloon that they got back in season one. I didn't realize like they hadn't used it until now. But yeah, I guess this line is like, oh, in case you forgot that in back, way back in season one, they found the fire balloon from the mechanist. Um, here it is. And then right behind those fire balloons, just when you think it's over, you see this like giant airship armada appear behind and it's like, oh, now it's really over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're looming there. And originally they were supposed to be used to invade Ba Sing Se. Mm. Um, yeah, to get over the walls. Interesting. Yeah, I guess they're being repurposed to kill a whole bunch more people. And then, so the Aang gang sees it and Aang says, they're headed for the beach. They're going to destroy the submarines. Um, and then Hakoda makes a snap decision here. And he tells like all the kids to escape and for the adults to surrender because they only have Appa to leave. Um, so kids including Haru. Uh, but weirdly... The Duke is a child, but Pipsqueak is not, even though... Mm. It's hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and Teo, I guess. Yeah, and Teo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we see a scene of all the kids and adults partying, and the Mechanist and Teo hug and have a moment. Yeah, this is actually something I saw in one of the videos I watched about this episode, but there's a line where Teo tells the Mechanist, like, I'm really proud of you, Dad. And the, it... There's actually a scene in the Northern Air Temple episode when Teo confronts uh, his dad about like building stuff for the Fire Nation. And there's a line where he's like, how can I be proud of you if like all your weapons are being used for murder or something? Mm. So this is like a tie back to that where they like reconcile, which is like cool that they even have like these side stories for the side characters uh, in this episode. So everyone's getting their uh, catharsis except Aang. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then Hakoda puts his hands on Sok and Katara's shoulders, and he's like, we lost today, but we've never been this close. We tasted victory, and that counts for something. And then they say bye to their dad, which is very sad. And then Katara goes to comfort Aang, who is sitting on Appa crying, like full tears. Um, yeah, and then Aang turns around to address the invasion force, and he's like, thank you all for being so brave and so strong. I'm going to make this up to you. Yeah, and again, kind of similar to what I said in the beginning, like this this was clearly a failure, but Aang is owning up to the failure and like promises to save them instead of like running away from it. Um, so mm-hmm. growth on his part. How crazy would it be if at this moment where they think they failed, Zuko shows up, he's like, hey, Zuko here, so I've killed my dad. <laughs> 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 we won. <laughs> By the way, I'm a good guy now. <laughs> That's so funny. Um... Yeah, I guess I just wanted to point out too this line where Aang is addressing the invasion force. Like, I feel like the voice acting is done so well here. Like, I feel like you can kind of hear his voice breaking, um, but he's like trying to be strong. Um, Yeah. (sighs) And then anyways, he decides to or they fly away and Aang decides to take them all to the Western Air Temple. The final Air Temple. Yay. And then we see Zuko following them in one of those small air balloons. And uh, I guess the kind of 
like continuity here is that we see Zuko on their tail again, but this time he's good. So the entire like time he's been trailing them, he's been bad, mm-hmm. but now he's good. Yeah. Nice way to end it. Yeah, so that concludes this momentous two-parter. Let's move on to our ratings. Oh, one for each episode, I guess? Yeah, well, so just in keeping with tradition, I don't know, you can do what you what you wish, I guess. But just because we've done it for all the other ones, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll separate good, out my good. ratings and, you know, average rating will be the average rating that holds. I'll give an 8 for the first part and a 10 for the second part. The first part, I think it does an excellent job of setting up I think what the payoff is in the second episode. So it is kind of hard to see them as two distinct ones. But I think a nine overall also holds for what I would give it. Um, it does an excellent job setting up. It creates the atmosphere of like the final battle that's going to come. The music actually in both episodes is also like really good and better than I think average music for the show and really builds anticipation. Um, like the whole like battlefield thing, uh, like battle between two armies in the first episode is really cool. Like all the new technology and the reunion of all the characters. Um, I just think like it doesn't, you know, have like the final payoff, which we do see in the second episode. Like, um, and, and I do have to mention like the first episode being so Sokka centric, like definitely like rubs me the wrong way. And I, I just, I feel like Hater. it shouldn't matter that much, but like it, yeah, I don't know. I have to, I have to subtract a point at least for that. Um, but it does get less that way in the second episode, which I, which I do like. Dang, Amin's a Sokka hater. Yeah, I mean, I love <laughs> yeah. him, but like, you, you're not the star of the final episode, you know? Like, it's just not you. Um, you're a side character. You know your place. NPC Sokka. <laughs> Amin is a bending elitist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. You know it. Um, yeah, so eight for the first episode. Final episode honestly better than i thought i remembered like it's just so good the ozai uh zuko confrontation is you know one of the best scenes of the whole show like hands down like that fight was great um and then just like i don't know ang being like tripped up and like i don't know things not going according to plan is also just like cool because like you kind of think it's the final battle uh, but i don't know i think it's really just the ozai zuko like confrontation that it's just too good. So, yeah. Cool. I give it an 8 and a 9. Um, yeah, I found in the same way the first time the tank showed up that the animation is a little destroyed because mm. some of them are computerized. It's just like a little jarring. And it's the same for the the submarines. Like, mm. they're very clear computer animated. And it's like... You know, very kudos to the animation team to try, like, the new tech as it was coming out. Because I guess this was, what, like, the 2000s? Like, early yeah, 2010, 2010s? 2008 yeah. or something. Yeah. And, but still, it's, like, a little disjoint and kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, also, I guess... I don't know why this bothered me, but it's just, like, the whole range of tech that was just, like, all of the sun being thrown in at us was, like, kind of strange. Um... I guess those are, are my only two gripes, and yeah, I guess the first episode had a little bit more build-up to be done, so it was a little bit more boring. Um, you know, the first time watching, if you don't, if you haven't seen a lot of these characters in a long time, it means a lot less to you. I guess it's cool for us, right, because we get to do the research, and we've seen all the episodes, like, back-to-back, kind of, 
but I can imagine as a kid, you know, like it's been years since you've seen Haru. Like, who is this guy? Um, so, but I mean, generally overall, amazing episode. Um, but yeah, I guess like just some some of the invasion parts didn't feel earned because like we just didn't see the planning for it. Mm-hmm. And but like when so many things in the show are are earned like that, it just feels lesser, I guess, which is like a very high bar. Um, but yeah, second episode, amazing. Um, the speech is like probably one of the greatest speeches in the show. Uh, I guess it, you know, we need to hold up like what is a ten, and I think there are tens to come still, and this is. Really great, but it's it's not the tens to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I agree with most of what Justin was saying because um, I'm gonna give the first part a seven and the second part an eight. Um, so I guess just slightly more negative um, on these episodes. Um, obviously, they're good, but yeah, I just thought the first episode was a lot of setup. They're basically just like trudging along step by step into the capital and like it's kind of just like there's not it's not super dynamic in my opinion and I like I actually like seeing a lot of the technology and stuff um but yeah I don't know it just kind of felt like a little bit boring honestly um and then yeah part two obviously the Zuko and Ozai scene is amazing and like one of the best in the show I just don't know if that scene alone can like elevate the entire episode into like 910 territory for me um and personally I just like the uh lighter and like happier episodes and obviously this is just a colossal failure and I think that just makes <laughs> me like dislike it a little bit more um so that kind of like docks both of them a little bit just because it's like I don't know. They failed like a lot of times. Like it's not really a new thing for them to fail. Like I think it's like cool for the protagonist to encounter some hardship. But like Aang's been taking L's since like the very beginning, <laughs> since before the show started. So yeah, well, actually, one a thing maybe if I could just say, I think one of the reasons I actually like it is because one thing we didn't mention is like essentially the entire show like led up to this moment where it's like the eclipse and like this is their chance to strike and it's like whoa like the writers actually like made them fail in this moment mm-hmm, and it's like mm-hmm. now it's like they're even crazier under like they don't even have like ang doesn't know firebending like they don't have even a team like an army to like take over like what are they gonna do right and it's like it's like well that's true you know the so build up is much more in this one yeah. So that's, but it, it's like the greatest setup for Zuko being the only way out. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it started building up since the library, um, so like a whole season's worth of content. Yeah, yeah. I guess the last thing that I didn't like quite as much is like the fact that the invasion kind of felt unplanned, despite all this buildup of like I feel like the buildup could have been even better potentially um but yeah not to be a downer i think it is still very very good <laughs> just they're just losing and stuff yeah oh yeah i guess uh i guess also jump in and elaborate on that little, like a great show i feel like that does build up really well is like attack on titan like you rewatch it and there's so many references you didn't even realize like we're there and i feel like that was just kind of missing where like it was the non-obvious references that are missing, but then the obvious ones happened a bunch. So it was just, I don't know, the build-up, yeah, build-up bet. Mm, yeah. 
Okay, we'll get some juicy build up uh, as we <laughs> as we go along. Um, but yeah, still very fun. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of the Day of Black Sun parts one and two. So we will actually, just like the original show, be taking a hiatus for a little while. We'll be back in 2024 spring 2024 um so yeah keep you guys on your toes for the final few episodes of the show or of our show and the show (laughs) the tv show um so yeah we'll let you know when we'll be back and we will see you next time um if you want to stay up to date on when we release or submit thoughts or questions on the episodes be sure to follow us on instagram at at what's underscore appa or you can email us at what's at gmail.com also subscribe to our podcast on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcast and if you like this episode be sure to give us a five-star rating thanks again and we'll see you next time bye bye we need to be fast careful and lucky